The reading for tonight is from 2 Kings chapter 17, verses 5 through 18. Then the king of Assyria invaded all the land and came to Samaria. For three years he besieged it. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria captured Syria. He carried the Israelites away to Assyria. He placed them in the Hala on the harbor, the river of Gozan, and in the city of Medes. This occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up from the land of Egypt, from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. They had worshipped other gods and walked in the custom of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel and in the customs that the king of Israel had introduced. The people of Israel secretly did things that were not right against the Lord their God. They built for themselves high places at all their towns from watchtower to fortified city. They set up for themselves pillars and sacred poles on every high hill and under every green tree. There they made offerings on all the high places as the nations did against whom the Lord carried away before them. They did wicked things, provoking the Lord to anger. They served idols, of which the Lord had said to them, You shall not do this. Yet the Lord, the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes in accordance with all the law that I commanded your ancestors and that I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. They would not listen, but were stubborn as their ancestors had been, who did not believe in the Lord their God. They despised his statutes and his covenant that he made with their ancestors. And the warnings that he gave them, they went after false idols and became false. They followed the nations that were around them, concerning whom the Lord had commanded them that they should not do as they did. They rejected all the commandments of the Lord their God and made for themselves cast images of two calves. They made a sacred pole, worshipped all the host of heaven, and served Baal. They made their sons and their daughters pass through fire. They used divination and augury. And they sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. None was left but the tribe of Judah alone. The word of the Lord. The Lord God says to the peoples of this great nation, the Lord God said to the peoples of this great city, the Lord your God who brought you out of the persecution by the English kings, the great oppressors of Northern Europe, and later I guess Eastern Europe, and because really since the last half of the 20th century, some really bad situations in Southeast Asia, 
And yes, then increasingly some were, you know, of you were delivered from some pretty unspeakable things in Central Africa. Not to mention all of you whom the Lord, your God, had to sneak across the southern borders to deliver you from the violent despots. And truthfully, that hasn't really turned out that great for many of you after being delivered here by the Lord, your God. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm really trying to get my prophet on here, you know, get that prophet voice on here, trying to... Uh, but I just can't, um, I can't quite work it up, you know? I can't quite get it up to that energy or that volume. I was trying to do the thing where I'm just like, you know, you know, this is like we're like, I'm prophesying to like, you know, America or something. Um, and I don't know if I can't get it up because um, I'm trying to make contemporary, like, situations analogous to an ancient one and it just doesn't work, so... Um, or if maybe it's because like I didn't have my glasses on and instead of uh, baby aspirin I accidentally um, took some uh, muscle relaxant you know because um, I'll just it occurred to me a while back that um, I should start taking better care of myself you know and I'm um, like, you know, get a physical and all that, you know. But then I realized it would like, um, that would mean I would have to like get a, like a doctor, like a primary physician, which seemed like kind of a big hassle. But I had heard that, you know, you should take half an aspirin or like a baby aspirin, like one a day, and then you won't have a heart attack. So, that seemed easier. So I just started doing that. I've been doing that for years now. And uh, heart attack free. So, um, it's worked pretty well. Um, but like this morning, I didn't have my glasses on, like I said. And I realized only after I'd started feeling the effects that I had taken the muscle relaxant, you know, and um, I'd gotten it because I hurt my back. Somebody had given it to me because I'd hurt my back, and which is fine now. Thanks for asking. Um, so anyway, I feel a little loopy, like um, like like uh, like my muscles are relaxed. So it's hard to rev up for the profit thing, you know? And actually, just now, actually, it's just occurring to me that not only did I actually accidentally take the muscle relaxant, but that means that I did not take the baby aspirin. So I could have a heart attack up here, but I wouldn't really mind. As many of you know, this is the liturgical uh, year, at this liturgical year at House of Mercy, we've been taking the most popular children's Bible stories, starting from Genesis and working all the way through Revelation, and we've been considering how those early versions and interpretations of these Bible stories might have influenced like what we think and believe today, for good or ill. But I cannot figure out, in planning this out, how we ever came up with this story for today. 
to include? Why did we include it in these popular children's Bible stories? I mean, we just read it, right? Did it seem like it would make a very good children's story to you? Although most of the popular children's Bible stories seem wildly inappropriate for children. But this one, I don't know why we picked it. Because I didn't find a lot of, uh, I don't know, children's... When I looked out there, I didn't find a lot of children's stories about the end of the northern kingdom of Israel. I mean, there were a few, and the few I did find um, mostly landed on the moral lesson of... uh, I told you so, which isn't a great biblical principle. Like the prophets told northern Israel to repent, and they didn't, so, um, you know, they were wiped from the land. God warned them, sent prophets who called on them to repent, and when they didn't, God sent the Assyrians to uh, disappear them. And the ten tribes of Israel who made up the northern kingdom were never heard from again. Well, until maybe Joseph Smith reappeared them briefly, but that's really another story. So kids, repent or God will send someone to take you from your home. Never to be seen again. You really need good illustrations to sell that one. You know, this whole thing about the repent in these children's Bible stories, I mean, I remember, not even this story, I just remember repent all over the place. I mean, this, it was this takeaway of so many children's stories or so many children's lessons that this repent, that actually drove me from the whole notion of repentance at all. From very, you know, from sixth grade on maybe, I don't know, like, it just made me mad when people would say Repent. Like, repent was like this accusation, and repent was all about this, like, kind of this thing, like, you repent because you're super bad, and if you don't, you know, God's angry, you know? You never hear, doesn't ever seem like when those children start to think back, I don't think it was ever presented like, um, God's like, hey, I was thinking you should consider repenting. It never seemed like it came that way. It was always like angry, and if you didn't do it, then, then something bad was going to happen, or you could go to hell, or sort of they would take you away. I don't know, it was just going to be bad. I mean, all kinds of things could happen from, you know, you know, your Sunday school being, teacher being disappointed in you, to, you know, burning in fire. So it made me mad, because I didn't really think God was like that. So I just gave up the whole notion of repentance. I was against it. I was against it. I blatantly did not repent. Even into my junior high and high school, I figured God loves me, right? God forgives me. God saves me. Nothing I can do about it. I suppose you not because you tell me that I have to do something about it. No, so I didn't repent. I smoked cigarettes unrepentantly. Unrepentantly I did. And God did not smite me. I don't know. There's long-term effects of that. It might still be taking me out later. I don't know because of that. But, um... Unrepentantly, I did it. I did many things unrepentantly because I did not want to believe in a God where that was the system, where there was a mechanism of salvation, you know? But 
think about this God. You repent and then there's forgiveness, and that's why you do it, because there's always forgiveness. But you think there should probably be forgiveness beforehand, because why is, why is God leaving it up to me? It doesn't seem like it makes a lot of sense. But you have to be really sorry. That's something your dad says to you when you took your sister's Girl Scout cookie money. You have to be really sorry. You can't say you're sorry and count the change in your pocket. You really have to repent. So, you know, I think about this repentance, and I just think about this whole thing about God's going to, like, I think there's a problem with the repentance, even now as I bring it here, because, like, when you really think, what is harder for you to believe? Okay, if you don't do this thing, like, look what we've done. Like, God is calling to these cities, to calling to the city here in the northern kingdom. Repent for all that you have done. Look what you have done. Look how you live your life. Look how you treated your other, retreated this land. Repent, or it will all be taken from you. Now, what's easier to believe? That if you don't repent, God will actually come and take all that from you? Or is it kind of hard to believe that if you do repent... God will make everything better. I don't know. It seems like that's the crazy thing to think. That if you do repent, like if we all repent, if this city would have repented, that God would actually change things. Polar ice caps would just like get bigger. When I think about it that way, it's almost like Repentance is this crazy act of hope. It's not an accusation. Repentance maybe is more of an invitation to some kind of like faith. Like you could repent and the response might actually be radical mercy. You don't see it a lot. But I guess that's faith. Yeah, repentance is like not some mechanism of salvation but it's an act of hope I don't know did I tell you about the muscle relaxants okay well it's not a popular children's story forgive me for my digression it is a key story in the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament more specifically, the Deuterontomistic history. Because you see, it's not quite true. And by quite true, I mean that some scholars and biblical roustabout strongly conjecture that not all this story of the unrepentant ten northern tribes and being, them being carried away to Assyria and disappeared. Maybe some people think that that's not quite true, that story. Because, you know, some people think maybe a lot of them, they didn't. How are they going to round up everyone? Some of them stayed behind. Others of them, they conjecture, the Deuteronomistic historians, think that the group of these people, these northern tribes, they went down south to Judah. The southern tribe, the remaining tribe. And when they got down there, they basically wrote this story that we're reading, wrote this whole history there. They basically went down there and said, did you see what happened to us up there? 
It's going to happen to you too unless you follow these principles. God's mad and you've got to get it together. You've got to worship this one God. You've got to follow this one God's rules. We've got all this history to prove it. You can't idol worship. But if you do, you know, you're going to be wiped out. So we happen to know how to follow all these rules. So listen to us and do what we say. So some people think this isn't some history story, that this is just, uh, you know, manipulating a situation for uh, political power. It's sort of like, uh, you know, they write this to kind of lend a, put God's stamp on their own political structures and strictures and give themselves authority to administer some power to change things. They basically went to the southern kingdoms and said, yeah, look, it's got to be different. But probably what happened maybe was something more like uh, the northern kingdom um, was, uh, had a lot of enemies, internal strife, and Assyria was coming down and was pushing in on their borders. And so the northern king said, look, I'll pay you, Syria, Assyria, if you... Um, don't invade us and help us with these enemies here. And so they said, okay, we'll do that. And so, but in order to pay that, the uh, king of the Northern Kingdom had to tax everybody, tax them like mad. Tax them so heavily that it got to the point where um, they could no longer pay the taxes. And the Assyrians came in and seized the whole country for back taxes and accrued penalties. It wasn't God wiping them out for, you know... Okay, now that I've reminded you about the true history of what actually happened here, yes, yes, I need to tell you this. I need to tell you that after I've reminded you, uh, I think the muscle relaxants are wearing off. After, I have to remind you that after I've told you the, all these histories here and told you how it really happened, now I need to remind you, now I need to tell you that what we just read, it ain't history, like we said. It ain't history. There is no history. There's only right now. Even right now, there's no history. There might be some history, but there's no past. No, we only have right now. And the way we have this book, the way we read these stories, we only can read these stories right now. We can't look at them and say, oh, here's what happened in the past and stuff, because that's not true. None of it. We have this in front of us right now. That's all we have in the present, in this moment right now. And we can read them right now. And we can read them for what they are. They're not about what happened in the past. What they are is these stories in this holy book that we have. We can read in the story book that we have. And because the past is, it never happened. We have no access, access to it. Do we have any access to what happened in the past? No, we have these stories and we can read them. And we can read them for what they are, and what they are are these words, stories in our holy book. Does the meaning change if they never happened for you? Does the meaning change, I mean, if this Deuteronomistic history never happened? I mean, there's no archaeological evidence that it did. And for, for most of history, the interpretation of these stories, they, people didn't read them as accounts of what really happened. They read them all kinds of way forever. They read them as analogies. It's how the rabbis read them. The method was practiced by the Greeks and passed on. 
Only recently have we said, okay, here's an account of what happened here to the northern tribes of Israel. No, it was about something else. It was people in the moment reading meditations on how God and man, humanity, interact. But it's weird. You have that in there and you go like, well, we have a really good, like, holy book. And then they just put these manipulative stories in there. I don't know. I mean, because now we have so many different ways to uh, read these stories and find meaning in them. But is there a core? Is there really one way, one truth in there? We just haven't found it yet. Or maybe some of us know it. Well, I know this. These are words in our holy book. Even if they're not history, they're words in our holy book. Do they mean the same way that they used to mean? Can we read these words? I mean, if they are meant as a way to give a God-ordained backstory to some political opportunist who wanted to codify their political power, in spite of that, can we still use them? Can we still find meaning in them? Is it right to use them to tell children to obey God or God will send somebody to take them away? That's a meaning that was placed on them later. That's a different way for them to mean. Or can we use them to predict the end, even of the current Israel, which... This story is used for that a lot. But one thing I think and one thing I know, that these are words that are in our holy book. They're in our holy book, and in spite of why they might have put in there, or who put them in there, or what their purpose was at the time, I think these words get away from those people who put their in. These words are in our holy book, and they're in our holy book, and three faiths count this as holy. I think those words get away from those original writers. I think these words are got a hold of by the Holy Spirit. And like the Spirit, they move and they change. They change and they mean different things. They rise up off the page and move around like the Spirit of God. And while they were intended as one thing, they could be pointing to something else. They might unroll or unwrap or pull you through the loop of a knot Even though the destruction of Israel had been prophesied, if they did not repent, I read, Jeroboam II ruled Israel for at least 40 years. And it said because it is because of his kindness to the prophet Jonah. He was was kind to the prophet Jonah. Uh, He was spared the misfortune and the devastation that had been foretold for the, the dynasty of the people of northern Israel, northern tribe. He was spared because he was kind to Jonah. For Jonah, during his reign, was sent, called by God, to the city of Nineveh. Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria. And so, against even the prophet Jonah didn't want to go, but he goes there because God said, go there and tell Nineveh, their mortal enemies, to repent. And the prophet went, and the people of Nineveh repented. And God responded to the enemies of Israel with grace and mercy. That's where these words point. They point back to this. In the same way, the prophets were sent to Israel. And they said, repent, repent. And Israel did not repent. Israel did not repent. And so the Assyrians come. The Assyrians came. The capital city, Nineveh, these very people who God had spared now come because God's children will not repent. And they overcome God's children. And they 
remove them and take them back to Nineveh, God's children. And they're never to be heard from again. Do you, I don't think that the Deuteronomist, did they understand that, that they were putting that in there? Or were those words gotten a hold of? And what was meant to be edict was moved around and turned into predictions of grace, like outrageous mercy for our enemies. What does this all mean that sometimes the move words move around and land somewhere else? What does it mean that sometimes the words that were meant to say one thing, like sanctify and codify the political power, move around another way sometimes and point to a radical mercy that God lavishes on our enemies and the judgments we hope for them land on us. I don't make them move. I don't know where they'll mean. I can pour over these words, but they can come back and pour all over me. The prophets of the Lord God called the great nation to repent of idol worship and false gods, or it would bring about their destruction. I wonder when they twist and turn and mean another way, I wonder which way they might point. City, city, how do we repent? Nation, great nation, how do we repent? Neighbors, my neighbors, good people, repent. Repent.